0: If you've got a Bible or device, we invite you to open up to Revelation chapter two. We're going to be in Revelation chapter two this morning, starting a new series called "Dear Church: The Seven Letters of Revelation." All right. I know some of you have studied Revelations tremendously. Others are scared to read Revelation. Others have heard about it, heard other interpretations of it. I just want to open up this morning with a little bit of information before we get into this first letter. Just a little bit of details. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible for lots of good reasons. It was written by one of Christ's apostles, the Apostle John, who was the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of Zebedee. He wrote the revelations to seven churches who were in the Asia Minor area, the Turkey area of the world today, likely written during the reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian. Some people believe that it was written during the emperor's reign of Nero. See, right after Christ was crucified on the cross, buried and resurrected from the dead, the Roman Empire just exploded. I mean, it was just taken off everywhere. And they needed a lot of scapegoats because you kind of need some group of people to blame everything on so that people won't look at you for the problems of the culture. It hadn't changed a lot in the last 2000 years. So Romans began early on to blame the Christians for everything. Christians and Jews were blamed for everything, but then it really became primarily against the Christians. And there was severe persecution, church. And I'm not talking, I'm not downplaying some of the persecution in our country. That is very real, and we are called to stand our ground with those things. Like in this day, I mean, we're talking like the movie Gladiator. You may seen the movie Gladiator back in the day and the Roman gladiators were fighting the folks. A lot of those folks were actually Christians that were being rounded up and being put into the ranks. So it's a very, very severe persecution. The apostle John is the only of the 12 disciples that's still alive when he writes this book. Every other apostle had died a much earlier death than they would have died, I believe, if they had not followed Christ. They were all martyred for the faith, which means they were telling people about what Jesus had done. The world around them told them to stop. They didn't stop, so the world around them put them to death, thinking that, It would go the way of every other tradition that had tried the same thing. You put enough people to death, you persecute them hard enough, you push down hard enough, they'll eventually stop. With the Christian faith, for some reason that we all know, that didn't work. The harder the people pushed, the harder the culture tried to squeeze it out, the faster it spread. And one of the primary reasons it spread as quickly as it did was I believe the Holy Spirit of God was just an absolute movement around the world through the church, These were men and women and children of the faith who when they were being persecuted were actually quoting Jesus when Jesus said things like, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The world would hit them on one cheek in church today. The church 2,000 years ago was actually doing wild things like turning the other cheek and continuing to serve. And other people from other faiths, other religions, the Roman Empire, continued to witness this example and couldn't understand it because they had never seen a people group that had been hit that hard and continued to offer grace and mercy and truth at the same time. So under the reign of Domitian, the Roman Empire is hitting the Christian churches hard. It's also a little bit different because when this letter, these letters were written, they're going to be reading the next few weeks, there were not 15 or 20 or 30 churches in every town Most of these churches were the only church of the Christian faith for possibly a 50 to 100 to 500 mile radius, right? So it was like a small, small group of believers that gathered together. So you wouldn't say like, oh, you're from Ephesus, which church you go to? They would probably say, are you the church? Like, what are you talking about? There's only one, the church at Ephesus. Also the church that Paul wrote the letter when he wrote to the Ephesians. So all that's kind of a little bit of background information on how we get to some of these letters That John writes to churches around him in this time. As the last surviving apostle, he's most likely writing these letters from the island of Patmos. His life was not easy either. He had suffered severe persecution throughout his life. And when he's writing this, it's in complete isolation because he's been banished from the culture. He's on an island by himself and the Lord reveals to him, hence revelation, things that are to come. He reveals to him glimpses of God's plan. Have you ever been to Phillips Arena or a big concert in a a fancy place, Red Rock, something just cool, right? You ever walk in and just go, this is neat, right? With smoke and lights and sound, all that stuff. This is just Danny's opinion for 30 seconds. John was a first century Jewish convert to Christianity that had never seen running water, indoor plumbing, an automobile, or electricity. There is no, in my opinion, no way John could have fully understood everything that God was revealing to him as quickly as God was revealing it to him. This is just my opinion. I believe John was writing down as quickly as he could things that he was seeing, saying, maybe, maybe, there's a chance, even with some of those, he said, I don't know what this even means, but this is what I'm seeing. Can you imagine... If you had never seen electricity before, you had never been inside a building with doors or nice glass or screens on the windows or lights in the sky like this before, and you somehow caught a glimpse of all this, how would you describe that to somebody else? It'd be extremely difficult. You might say things like, there was what? Fire in the sky, there was shaking of the thresholds. Like what does that mean? Am I saying that God's kingdom is gonna be Phillips Arena? Absolutely not. I think it's gonna be so much more than that. But I do think it's important for us as we unpack and read through Revelations to remember and acknowledge that this was written down, divinely inspired and perfect from God by a man who probably didn't understand everything he was writing down. But God said to write it down because everyone who would read it would be blessed. All that to say, I do think it's also important to notice the two goals of this book. There are lots of goals, we're just gonna highlight two. One, to encourage Christians to live righteous and holy lives in light of what is to come to encourage Christians to live righteous and holy lives in light of what is to come and to challenge unbelievers about the judgment that lies ahead if they reject Christ. All right, so we've got two purposes that we can highlight over the next few weeks in the book of Revelation. If you're a Christian, I believe God can reveal himself through scripture as he has. That's one of the reasons it's called a living perfect word. First century Christians in Ephesus, world's a lot different from ours, could have gotten this letter 2,000 some odd years ago, and I truly believe the Holy Spirit could have used it to encourage them and equip them and remind them of their calling just like we can do today. Same thing, first century Ephesus could have gotten this letter for the non-believers, and I think the church could have been reminded, like, hey, we are following the truth for everyone who doesn't know the truth. This is what is to come. That message hasn't changed either. Many interpretations about what is written in this book. <clears throat> Kirk Cameron, might ever see those movies? Lepine, that was my jam. Also, I set up really late a lot of times in middle school because I was just terrified sometimes because you see those things. I think he's done a phenomenal job of trying to replay and foreshadow and bring into light, along with lots of other people. I'm a fan church of having good conversations about the many interpretations of some of the things that are written in this book. I'm a fan about doing those, especially around like dinner tables, you know, or conversations. Tonight, my wife and I'll be on the Facebook on our back porch and we're gonna be unpacking some of this a little bit more. We're welcome to jump on It's between sometime between seven and ten, just whenever we jump on there, because there's so many kids. Y'all ever just look around and say there's just so, so many kids and now dogs, they're just everywhere. But knowing they're not the same. Those are two very different things, two very different groups. But I do wanna point this out before we jump into this this these verses this morning, that I am a fan of good conversation and discussion about timelines and details. I believe everything that is written in the scriptures from the first page to the last page is the revelation of God, the true word of God, and we are called to live by it and trust in it. But I also am a fan of specifically what Jesus said about the end times. Remember what Jesus said in Mark? <laughs> My voice is gone. <laughs> it's noticeable. It's because I was at camp last week and I just yelled at that one kid. I didn't yell at any kids last week. Okay, focus on the thing. Focus on. <laughs> but y'all, it's important to remember what Jesus said in Mark thirteen thirty two, when some of his own friends were asking him about his return, and the end of time, and what eternity would look like. Hear this, church. This is extremely important. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of the Living God, one of the perfect triune, one of the perfect members of the Trinity. Jesus said. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Jesus said this, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, which is impressive here. This is the last part here, nor the son. Who's the son? Jesus is saying in this verse, quite literally, Jesus does not know the hour at which the father in heaven is going to say to him, return to the earth. The day is near. The day is here. The day is now. Again, I'm a fan of having conversations. I'm a fan of studying this text because it opens up by saying, the only book in the Bible that opens up by saying blessed is he and she, blessed are those that read these pages, right? It's very important. But I'm also a fan of being aware that many men and women over the last 2,000 years have predicted the day and time, some of them have sold lots of books and made lots of money about said day and time, and then they've had to come out with a sequel. You know what I'm saying? I'm not making fun of anyone, just pointing that out. Why? Jesus says, even Jesus does not know the hour at which he will return. Hear this. And if I am I upset, that's okay if I'm upset because I'm just quoting scripture here. That means if you or a YouTube preacher or a prophet that's written a book somewhere has said to you or anyone else, I have received from God. The day and hour in which Christ shall return. You have the full blessing of every page in this scripture to say you are nothing short of a heretic. Right? So, the problem I think the church has today is we know that there's some folks who have made a big fuss, made money in predicted days. That some of us just think, well, let's just not read it all together. We're like, no, we can't do that. It's in the scripture. It's written to actual people, and God wants us to study and to know. So I just point those things out as we open up, all right? I just thing that's important to see. If you have any questions on that, see Jeff Rogers. He'll have all the answers. All right. <laughs> Jeff, sorry. I'm one of our pastors on staff. All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says this. This is Revelation chapter 2. The first of seven letters to seven churches. This one's written to Ephesus here. To the angel of the church in Ephesus... Right. all right, so he's talking to John. John's having a revelation, whether it's a dream or he's seeing something physical. He's like, I don't understand. Write these down. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So John's writing these things down. I know your works. This is what he writes to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary." That's a good opening. You know what I mean? We saw kids at camp this week get letters from their families, and we made them do silly things in the cafeteria before we gave it to them. They did the silly things and they would you'd watch them. It was awesome. Every time they'd be like, oh, I don't want to really care about this. It's just for mom and dad's cheesy, and they'd set it down. But if you watched them long enough, they would go and pick it up. They'd find a quiet spot, you know it's all And they'd open it up and just smile. Because they hadn't seen their parents in 24 hours, right? And it was just overwhelming them. They're like, somebody loves me. It's just this beautiful reminder. Something sweet happens when we get letters in the mail. Especially when we get letters that open up like this. When it says things like, I know that you're trying hard. You haven't grown weary. You're working. You're pushing back against the world. I'm so proud. Isn't that what this sounds like? Jesus reminds the pastor, the anglos, the angel, the messenger, that he knows what's going on in this letter. Good lists, good works, toil, patience, endurance, don't stand for evil, test false teachers, live well for his namesakes, you haven't grown weary. All these things are good, which remind me that in this letter it opens up to me by saying, dear church, persevere in hardship and test everything with scripture. Persevere in hardship and test everything with scripture. The church in Ephesus was undergoing severe persecution and they were standing strong. And I think God wanted them to be reminded that he was paying attention to what was happening in their lives. One of the worst things for us to fall into is to think that we're the only person on the planet that knows what we're going through, especially when it's a difficult thing. God wants everyone to know that he is paying attention to the details and he is with us in the most difficult of times and he calls us to persevere. He also calls us to test everything with scripture. We know that life is hard. That hasn't changed since Ephesus' time. We know that the world is evil. Church, we also know that we shall overcome because of what Christ has done. We also know that not all preachers and teachers are godly and biblical. So we've got to be aware of that. That's how this letter opens up. Test everything with scripture. That even means the people that stand on this stage, what they preach, what they sing, what they teach, what we teach in the class, we're called by scripture, by God, to test everything with scripture. So that means if you ever hear something, and sometimes, y'all know me for a little bit, I talk fast, I'll say something, and I love it. Sometimes people catch me afterwards, like, hey, what did you mean by that? Usually I have to kind of unpack a little bit, but we want to make sure everything that we say and teach here is grounded on the truth of God's word. Y'all, just because someone says they're a preacher or a teacher or they know God doesn't mean they actually do. We've got to be aware of that. Just because somebody puts a hashtag Bible verse on a screen somewhere doesn't mean that's one, what the Bible actually says, or two, that we're called to follow that person blindly. Scripture says be aware of the false prophets. Be aware of those who are trying to lead you astray. Life is hard, the world is evil. We shall overcome. It goes on to say in Revelation chapter two, verse four, But I have this, Jesus doesn't play. He's like, man, you're doing so good. I'm so proud. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. That's the whole verse. I have this against you. That you abandoned the love that you had at first. Church, we've got to ask ourselves, is is John writing what Jesus says here Dear Church? You've abandoned your first love. Y'all remember what it was like to fall in love if you've fallen in love before? If you're currently in love with someone in this room and they don't know it yet, hold your hand up, point to them on three. No, don't, that'd be freaky. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's kind of weird. No, we're not that kind of church. We're not going to do that. Y'all, the church at Ephesus had a very correct doctrine, but they did not have a correct heart. Even to this day, we can know everything there is to know about God, we can know everything there is to know about the Bible. We can even know everything there is to know about the book of Revelation. But if our heart is not pure in its first love for Christ, we are missing the point. The emphasis here is on the word first, not necessarily the word love. We opened up with John, 1 John 4, 9. God is love. He loved us, we love him. Like God is love. He says love here. To me, the emphasis on that verse in, first, in Revelation 2, 4 isn't even on the word love, it's on the word first. First involves passion, pursuit intimacy for those that are in love this morning you've been in love for a long time some of you in this room are still holding hands with folks who in the last few years it's been difficult because life is difficult can you have these after you've been in love for a long time of course you can but it usually takes a little more work right I've been married to my wife for 16 years. I know most things about her. It's cool, every now and then she'll say something. You ever do that? Those have been married for a long time, she's, they say something and you go, huh, didn't know that about you. You know, it doesn't happen that often, because like, I know, you told me the story 87 times. I was there for most of the story. Right? Like, you know those things. You ever watch young people fall in love? Or even adults fall in love? Y'all's beautiful, right? Church, we must not fall into the trap of merely following programs and traditions. We must never allow our duty to replace our devotion. You know what God calls us in the Revelation Is the church? His bride. That's good stuff. I think some of it is just meant to be Sweet. You seen you've been to a wedding, you've been in a wedding, you've been married, you're thinking about getting married, you just watch the Hallmark movies wherever we are, right for real. What happens in like traditional wedding sense? You got like a guy and a preacher and there's somebody else up front, and the doors open. In the sweetest movies, right? Everybody goes, "Oh, right as the doors open." It was like, "Oh." And God describes us as his church. He describes us as his bride. Why? Because he wants intimacy. Passion. He wants followers who are obsessed with him, waking up in the morning. Y'all, you've been in love, those first days of in love time, you know what I'm talking about? Man, I wonder what she's doing, wonder what he's doing. i want to text him, i to check the Facebook, like do a little stalking, like what's going on? You just can't get enough, right? What can happen over the years? You get used to it, you take advantage of it. Those closest to us, sometimes we can even say, I know you're going to be there. They ain't going (laughs) anywhere. They're not leaving now. Whatever that is, with whomever that is. To know that spiritually, God doesn't want our hearts to become like that. Y'all, these are tough questions I ask myself. When's the last time? Ask yourself this question. When's the last time you got so lost in scripture and prayer that you stayed up until two o'clock in the morning just soaking it in? When's the last time, yeah, sure, worship set on Sunday morning, Tuesday evening, whenever you are. When's the last time you got so lost in your faith and pursuit of God through the Holy Spirit? You just got lost in it. You know what I'm talking about? Like earlier in my days, like college age, 20s, even now, not as often as it used to. I got to be honest. Sometimes you just get lost in that moment. And you look at the climb, like, holy cows. I've been here for two hours. We serve a God, I believe, who wants that. What breaks my heart and my relationship with the Lord, and I'm just, I can't speak to anybody else right now, is that sometimes I get so busy and sometimes I fall into trusting him so much that sometimes I just give him a little bit of the day. You know what I mean? Just a little bit. And y'all have kids that going off to school or going off to start lives? or going, I've heard this, I'm not there yet. We can talk and you can borrow our, like no, like we know that those things happen without fail those that have good kids without fail and a lot of you have phenomenal kids without fail i have heard so many of my dear friends say man i just wish i could spend a little more time you know like thanksgiving was good but it was short i know they got families of their own now i know they got their own house and their careers taken off but man i kind of miss right i just miss the christmas morning I, i just miss the let's just stay up and play scrabble Y'all, we serve a God who thinks about us like that. Could it be that some of us have grown up and grown so accustomed to our own families, our own traditions, our own jobs, all extremely important things that we have forsaken our first love? Jesus points it out here. He says you can know all about him, you can know all about the Bible, you can go to church all the time, but if your first love, if your heart is not his, he wants to address that. Revelation 2, 5, and 6 says this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will overcome and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus said that. Which I also hate. If we're falling into that trap of a first love, but we're as believers this morning, church, if we've allowed a sin or something else to enter into our lives, we must remember. Here, I believe Jesus is saying, dear church, remember and repent. Remember what he's done. Repent from your sin. Church, anytime we become distant from God, we are called to remember what God has done for us through the work of Jesus Christ, repent of our sin and return to our first love. In a marriage life, in a dating life, in a life with your children or your grandchildren, in a relationship you have with any other person, if time goes by and you start to sense a little bit of separation, you ever been in a relationship like that with anybody, kid, parent, grandparent, spouse, anybody like that, like things are off a little bit. We're not communicating like we used to. We haven't gone to a ball game just to be together in a while we can do one of two things. We can either say, I'm sure it'll fix it on its own, one of three things. Or what I usually like to do is, I'm sure eventually she'll figure it out and come back to me. You know, Like eventually she'll get there. Or we can take ownership like God calls us to do as spiritual men and women, remember what he has done, repent of anything that may be leading us astray, in return, lead by the example says in verse six that God hates the Nicolaitans. That's harsh. Why does he hate them? They're doing evil things. The Ephesians hated the practices of evil people. But that positive did not outweigh their loss of their passion for Christ. The Ephesians, like all of us, needed to be reminded that the primacy of our relationship is always over our performance, is to repent of our spiritual departure and to repeat prioritizing intimate fellowship with God. God wants an intimate relationship with us. So this morning, if you've been a Christian since you were in first grade, you've been a Christian for three weeks, or you're thinking about, know that God wants your heart in the dating phase, in the honeymoon phase, in the engagement phase of this is where I need to be. He says this in Revelation 2-7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To me, close out this letter, like close out a lot of them, dear church. We win. We win. To the one who conquers, which in Greek is Nikeo, means to be victorious. The word conqueror means to be victorious in the midst of, over, in, or through whatever circumstances are illegitimately holding believers hostage in john 5 5 john writes who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that jesus is the son of god so i've asked myself this week if we are, if you and i are already conquerors by believing in jesus why in these letters especially in this first letter to the ephesians to the churches are we still exhorted to continue to conquer we are already conquerors because of what christ has done and yet jesus is saying continue to conquer To me, it's because there's a difference between our legal status. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been declared free and redeemed. Our declared position is in Christ alone. So there's a difference between our legal status and our experiential reality. I hope that every one of us is a confessing believer in Jesus Christ. If we are, y'all, we're more than conquerors. Christ lives in us, we're gonna win. But that doesn't mean we're in heaven today, does it? We still got some time here. How much time, I don't know. It's in his hands. That means our experiential reality through those days, we must continue to work out this position of continuing to be a conqueror in our everyday lives so that we may have special intimacy with Christ in the kingdom. Church, Christ is appealing to anyone who has ears to conquer the temptation to push Christ to second place so that we might eat of the tree of life in paradise with God. So this morning, I ask us this simple question as we close. Are you and I in an intimate, passionate relationship with the Lord, who is the first love of our lives? Are you, cheesy, madly in love with the Lord? Is he on your mind all the time? Are you dwelling on him? Are you wanting to spend more time with him? Are you willing to sacrifice other things to be with him? If not, maybe today is the day that we remember Maybe for some of us, it's the day that we repent of something that's trying to take first place. For all of us, it's a call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So for the Christians in the room, first, love is very important. For the non-Christians in the room, today, we would love to introduce you to the one who has written a beautiful love story to know you and be with you for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, today I am thankful for letters like this in the Revelation, Lord. Letters that reminded believers. Lord, there were believers 2,000 years ago that got this letter. And I truly believe, set up late around campfires, opened it up in their schools and in their churches, and unpacked it, God. Lord, in the days of Ephesus, God, you know that they're with you now, those saints, God. They were being severely persecuted and hit in so many different ways. And yet you reminded them of your presence and of your calling. And you still reminded them to not, even in the midst of the busyness, of the hardships, of the difficulties of this world, to never abandon the first love which is found in you. God, I pray over my friends this morning. I pray over our church body here, for all the churches in Morgan County. God, I pray that you would allow revival to continue in our hearts and our minds and our souls and the churches that we would all return to our first love. God, I would rather someone say about me, all that God does is talk about Jesus than to ever be tempted to say, I didn't even know he knew Jesus. You know, I want want to be known as a person who loves the Lord. Help us, God, come back to that. You know in this world there's so many things that vie. You know there are so many things. Good things, God. So in the next few moments, I pray, overwhelm us with your presence. Overwhelm us with just a glimpse of the intimacy. You've designed us to be in your presence, in the heavens, Lord. You say in the scripture, in Revelation, that there's no need for the sunlight anymore because your presence will light up the streets. God, I pray Then the next little bit, as we sing the song called Revelation, that you would just let us catch a glimpse of that spirit. Just catch a, a little bit of what it feels like to be in your presence, Lord. May we become addicted to that and yearn for it and tell everybody we can about it. Lord, I want to be in love with you. And I want everyone else who knows you to be in love with you as well. God, if there's anybody here today hearing these words that does not know you, that needs to have a rel- something inside of them is stirring. Them. I don't know what this even feels like. This is odd. Lord, let today be the day, wherever they're at wherever they're standing or sitting, may they just be reminded through who you are in the Holy Spirit that you are also God. You lead by example. You are in love with all of us. And that you have done everything in your power to gain access to a relationship with us. God, in our minds sometimes, I think the devil wants us to think we are too sinful or too broken or too tired or too poor or too anything else. But God, I, de- I believe and declare that because of what Christ has done, you allow us to be called sons and daughters of God. You allowed us to be reminded this morning that you have the greatest dinner table that has ever been prepared in all of the universe. And at that dinner table, you have a nameplate for every one of your kids. So God, anyone hearing these words right now that feels as if they are not enough, I pray through the name of Jesus Christ that you would remind them that because of what Jesus has done, they already are enough. That all we have to do is believe in what you've already done and trust in it, God. God, I want us to be reminded that we are loved and you know our name, and you are with us. Help us, Lord, if anybody doesn't know that or starting right now to have a conversation with you in the next song, then come and talk to me or Jeff or Maurice or Sandra, somebody up front, Lord, just, just to share that with somebody on the way out the door, because you call us your bride, and I am thankful to be one of yours. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name.